This is episode 407 of The Amy Ayler Show. Show notes can be found at amyaylorshow.com forward slash 407. The Amy Ayler Show is especially for powerful women that are ready to stop being so darn hard on themselves and in the cycle of burnout so they can rise into a leader we can believe in. So speaking of leadership, I brought on a special guest for today's show, Nisha Moodley, to explore this important topic of embodying leadership right now. Nisha Moodley is an integrative leadership coach and the founder of Global Sisterhood Day. As a mixed-race woman with a background in health and executive coaching, intergenerational and energy healing, and community building, she has a unique understanding of the ecology of leadership and the ability to catalyze deep growth for her clients. Nisha has been a coach for over a decade, leading mastermind groups, online courses, and nearly 50 retreats, supporting folks to liberate their leadership and weave their gifts in service of our shared vision. You can find her online at nishamoodley.com. You're going to love today's show. And with that, on to the show. Nisha, I'm so excited to have you here. And I just love your unique vision of what leadership is and how any of us, even those of us that don't relate to being a leader, can really step in and embody leadership in our own unique way. And I know that in this moment in history, it's just, there's so much going on. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about what embodying leadership looks like in this moment of history. Mm. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you. (sighs) Well, I think that to ask this question of, or to answer this question of what it means to embody our leadership at this moment of time, it's really helpful for each of us to look at how do we relate to leadership and who do we see as leaders Mm. in our world. And something that I love having folks do when I'm working with them is really like take a moment and we could even do this right now and close our eyes and then think of leader and see what picture pops into our head. Mm. And (laughs) does that make me very happy? (laughs) The pictures that are popping into my head. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes they make us really like, and sometimes they make us really happy. Right. So I have Mm. people who are like, you know, they have like, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Michelle Obama or, um, you know, someone who is very aspirational to them or they have like, you know, an old white guy in a navy blue suit. Right. Um, (laughs) Like yelling at people. (laughs) And, and, um, And so, but regardless, what I tend to notice is when we go inside of that, like then the next thing I love to explore is how do we then, when we compare ourselves to that picture, how do we, how do we stack up? Like what happens inside of that comparison? Mm. So often what I'm hearing from women when I'm talking to them is like, well, I'm not that articulate. I'm not that confident. I'm not that smart. I'm not that, um, aggressive, (laughs) whatever it might be. Right. So whether they're what we would consider more like positive attributes, um, or whether we would consider them more negative attributes, there's some way that often when we think about leaders and leadership and what we've seen leadership to be in the world, we tend to either say, 
I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to be like that. And so no, thanks. That's not for me. Or I wish I could be like that. I wish I had it in me, but that's not how I am or who I am, or it feels like so far away that I could never really be that or become that. And so the framework that I love to hold around leadership, and I really credit Hiro Boga for this because I heard mm-hmm. her say it once and it, it like hit me straight in the heart, is that we're all leaders and we're all followers at different ways, at, in different ways at different times. And I really believe that our leadership is about bringing our full care into the world and expressing that in a way that we're most uniquely designed to do that in any given moment. And so one of my favorite um, parables for this is uh, an old friend of mine, Lisa, went to Standing Rock Mm. when everything was going down there. And she went to help. She went to take provisions and she went to be of service. And when she came back, she told me, well, she told me a lot of stories of that time, but something that really stuck with me was she shared that everyone had a role in this orchestration. So there were the people that were on the front lines and they had the megaphones and they were fighting and they were, you know, getting hit by tear gas and sprayed with hoses. And they were really literally on the front lines. And then there were the people who were there, but they were kind of off to the side. They were filming, they were doing Facebook lives. They were sharing with the world what was happening. They were getting the message out that this was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, And then there were the people way in the back, you know, that were praying, that were singing, that were cooking, that were offering healing, that were offering counsel and solace. And there were people who were bringing provisions and, you know, running from camp to camp to make sure that things, notes were passed or uh, provisions were, were, were passed. And so I was just seeing leadership so often think of as the people at the front. And sometimes leadership is being someone at the back, but doing your role right there or being the person in the middle and doing your role right there. So all of this is to say that I really feel like leadership is us showing up in our unique expression with our unique gifts, which is a whole thing (laughs) to embrace that, to embrace the fullness of who we are. And then to, to discern how and when and where to show up in each moment in our gifts. And so I feel like, you know, our children are born leaders. We are born leaders in different ways, in very unique ways. And so I think that a great question about how can we show up in our leadership at this time, it's a beautiful question. And for me, it's like, what is the vision for the world that inspires us that we want to see for our children and their children and their children's children, and even hopefully in our lifetimes, but what is the vision for the world that really inspires us? And then how, you know, with our nervous systems, with our bodies, with our unique positions in this life, and also what we care about and what calls us, how can we show up for that right now today? And it doesn't have to mean being at the front. It doesn't have to mean doing it this way or that way. It's just doing it in our way. What I love about what you're saying is it really embraces all of us as being leaders right now. Yeah. And so 
all of you listening, really look at where are you already a leader and what's that unique version of leadership that you're already doing that's not aspirational, but like, oh yeah, I guess I could claim leadership in my home. I guess I could claim leadership on that team at work. I guess I could claim leadership when it comes to my women's group and that I'm doing this X, Y, Z or whatever it is. But there's this way of you really allowing the space for all of us to be included in that. Right. And can you imagine like how it would be if organizations were run that way? You know, households, organizations, I mean, you go just thinking about our companies, you know, if inside of our organizations, we really valued the unique gifts that each person brought and their unique voice and also their lived experience and how their lived experience shapes their perspectives on things. And, um, you know, so often it's like, this is, this is our worldview and this is our narrative and we're running with it. <laughs> right. There's a squeaky wheel in the room who's like, ah, oh, well, we're missing something here. And that squeaky wheel is seen as a problem. Right. Instead of like, wait, you're taking us deeper. Mm-hmm. You know? And I just think that the kind of progress that we could make in our world, you know, in our households and our organizations and our communities and in our friend groups, you know, in our partnerships, all of it, I think the kind of depth progress that we could make would be really profound and potentially much faster mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, than the progress that we're making now if we really regarded each person and each voice and experience as valid and valuable and and an, and a significant contribution to the whole. I love the way that you speak about marginalized voices and how important it is to allow those voices to rise up and be heard. Will you talk to us a little bit about what that means to you? Sure. Well, I think, you know, first of all, I, it's like we care about what we care about in part because of who we are. Right. <laughs> how we've lived and our experiences and you know, what we love and what matters to us. And I think that growing up, first of all, my father grew up, um, he's Indian of, uh, from India of Indian descent, but my family has been in South, South Africa for several generations and they ended up there as indentured laborers and then lived under apartheid. So my father and many of his family, our family members, basically first at first escaped and then left um south africa in the early 70s and my dad came to canada he met my mom in college they had me and you know and so on we go (laughs) (laughs) but i grew up with these stories of what it was like to grow up under apartheid and you know to grow up as a brown person under apartheid, um, which it could have been worse. You could have been a black African person under apartheid, and it could have been a hell of a lot better. You could have been a white person living under apartheid. Mm. Not great for anyone, but certainly much less great for some people, for a lot of people, in fact. And so I think just growing up with those stories and growing up with Nelson Mandela on the television and growing up talking about these things and growing up seeing the way that people would kind of look 
at my dad when we walked down the street. And 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 growing up also as a mixed race kid and having people be like, "What are you?" You know, (laughs) and feeling othered in that kind of confusing, bewildering way as a child. We're like, "I don't even know how to answer that question." I'm a kid. I'm a girl. What are you looking for here? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Do I have Do I have stripes or a tail? Like, (laughs) what is confusing? Um, And where coming from with that question? But those experiences my childhood shaped this, like, wait a minute, this isn't the same, like, everyone isn't having the same experience here. Mm. And there are some people who are treated really badly. And they didn't do anything to deserve it. Not that I believe people deserve to be treated badly. But just recognizing like, wait, you were born and because of the way that you look, you were treated in, in a particular way. So that's just always been an awareness or at least for as long as I can remember that an awareness for me. And, um, and I think that just seeing the ways that in my life I've internalized that, the ways that I've felt like um, my voice is less, um, would be taken less seriously or, um, the way that I've watched myself take other people's voices less seriously because of their identities and been like, Ooh, wow. (laughs) Okay. I, (laughs) this is in me. Um, and also I think just recognizing that if we keep, if we keep discounting and diminishing, you know, whether publicly or even internally. And I think it's so great for us to just look at like the ways that we do it, the ways that we've internalized these things. Um, We lose a lot. Like we lose lives, we lose relationships, and we lose a lot of depth and richness and potential growth and progress um, because of it. So I don't know if I'm answering your question because I went on a whole, tangent. (laughs) I think that was, uh, no, it was really important though. And I love, you know, we were talking about marginalized voices and for you to have experienced being marginalized yourself because the othering that happened to you as a kid, because of watching the way people reacted to your dad when you walked down the street. I think that anybody that's listening right now that has ever felt that feeling, especially based on the color of their skin or the culture where they come from, is really like nodding their head right now being like, yeah, that impacted me. And so I'm curious how that, having that experience as a little girl, how that's impacted your work now, especially in like your soul of leadership program Mm -hmm. and things like that. Like how has that impacted the way that you approach your leadership? Well, it's pretty significant because it it has me recognize that the hierarchies that we've created are just BS. Mm -hmm. They're made made up. They're completely made up. And the more that we perpetuate those hierarchies, you know, whether they're inside of ourselves or in our organizations. And now I'm not saying that we don't offer you know, decision-making capacity to certain people. Like I get to decide whether or not my three-year-old uses the stove or not, not him, (laughs) right? (laughs) So, but that's different than mattering more than him. Mm. I don't matter more than him. My voice isn't more important than his. It's just that I have decision-making capacity in this arena 
that is the healthiest way of orienting things. But I think that our culture, our, our dominant culture, our overculture actually has it that those power dynamics make some people matter more, make their voices more important and their opinions and perspectives more weighty than others. And I think that's where we get messed up. And so for me, I'm like, how do we basically break down these internalized hierarchical narratives so that we can get further in breaking down external hierarchical narratives? And, um, and that's like that deeply, deeply matters to me. And I think there's a lot of ways that that filters into the work, but it's really kind of the foundation of what my course, Soul of Leadership, for example, is all about, which is like looking at all of these internalized narratives and the ways that we seek to make certain aspects or people or expressions more important and valid than others. And so, you know, that's where do we have wishy-washy floppy boundaries or a lack mm -hmm. of boundaries altogether or the kind of boundaries that say, no, it's my way or screw you, right? Right. <laughs> what I call like barbed wire boundaries. And, you know, I was looking, I actually did, I do a leadership lesson each month um, in the program. And I did one recently about navigating conflict without domination or control. And it's a very nuanced, you know, thing actually. Um, but part of why I wanted to create that is because I saw that inside of spaces of conflict, what can tend to happen is we either dominate and control ourselves. So we shut ourselves down. We shut away our own needs, our own voices, the, the validity of what we're feeling, um, or we want to shut down and shut out the other person. And so I guess the way that this devotion to embracing and including more marginalized voices impacts my life now is just looking at all of the places where I've internalized hierarchy and then that manifests as domination and control, whether I'm dominating and controlling the other, which comes up all the time for me in parenting. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. <laughs> that is like, this is where I'm like stretched to my edges actually with seeing these internalized hierarchical narratives or the places where I want to like make my kid do the thing do it now yeah not actually urgent <laughs> right <laughs> just that I I'm the boss right. like because I said so because I so and for some reason I'm attached to you having socks on immediately <laughs> <laughs> oh bless our hearts we're just doing the best we can oh, Misha. Oh, gosh. Oh. it's continual work you know it's continual mm. work mm. And so just personally, like seeing it in my parenting, um, looking at it in the ways that I want to navigate conflict with my partner, for example, like all the ways that it shows up for me, the ways that I'm like, you know, I, I can't bring this into the world or say this thing because, right, again, internalized hierarchical narratives. This matters more than that. This is more important than that. She's more important than me. I'm more important than them, you know, whatever. And also in both the structure of school leadership, I mean, it's a year long and it goes cyclically in circles and circles and circles because it's deep work, ongoing work to kind of um, 
unhook ourselves from dominant narratives. <laughs> it's a right. lot. It's, it's, it's long, deep work, but also in the way that we do the work, which is that looking and unhooking from all of those narratives and then seeing like, who are we in our full expression when we're not coming from a leadership paradigm that is about domination and control and looking and acting a certain way um, in order to kind of, you know, sneak our way past the gatekeepers, but actually saying, no, I'm, I'm not even going to play that game. I'm going to be here expressed fully as me and make the way for more people to be here fully expressed in ourselves. I love that. And well, and I, for you, when you look at a world where people are really embracing that authentic leadership and really integrating what you call these soul qualities of leadership, what, what's possible from that that isn't possible if we're in this really dominant control, that's a style of leadership? Well, I think that it's really natural inside of an overculture that is dominance and control and hierarchically based that we go into reactive or repressive states Mm. like um, automatically, (laughs) unconsciously, without meaning to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that on the one end of the spectrum, it could be like fight, flight, fawn, freeze. But there's also just like the subtle ways that we're like, I don't feel triggered, but I feel stuck. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Subtle, but not so subtle when we actually feel the impact of having those days where we're like, I can't get off the floor. (laughs) Maybe literally, you know, but like, or I'm in a meeting and somebody just said something that horrifies me and I'm frozen and I can't you know, I'm not necessarily in a trauma response, but for some reason I can't find the words. Like this Mm -hmm. happens to me all the time. Sure. It happens to many or all of us, you know, frequently. Right. Um, Some version of that, our own versions of that. And so these like repressive where we kind of get frozen or we lose our voice or we shutting, shutting down our emotions or um, yeah, just kind of repressing or reacting, you know, getting into sort of fight mode or um, choicelessness kind of reaction. Right. And so part of what I see as possible in re-embracing both a different paradigm of leadership and also utilizing like what we do is we look at a a different quality of leadership each month. And these qualities are not like be the loudest chest banging person (laughs) in the room. (laughs) Or dominate immediately. Yeah. Fire everyone who disagrees with you. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, name call 101. Right, right. Uh, but um, curiosity, sovereignty, integrity, receptivity, um, devotion. To me, what are soul qualities of leadership? The qualities that I think if we remembered those qualities inside of ourselves... We, we could really steer this world in a powerful and profoundly beautiful direction. And so I think part of it is in really embodying these qualities, 
we come out of the reactivity or the repression into more freedom, more freedom to show up in those moments. So maybe we're in the meeting and somebody says something horrifying and we're able to access uh, hear our intuition, hear our inner voice and access the courage to say the thing that needs to be said, not from a reactive place, but also we're not shut down. Um, or, you know, we're res- responding to an email that we received that was particularly difficult to receive. And instead of crumbling because of it and kind of losing the day because of this, you know, crappy email or flying off the handle with the person, we're able to kind of go into and access our own integrity, our own sovereignty and respond from that place. And I mean, I'm giving what might look like small examples, although they could be pretty significant in the moment to be able to shift our energy and show up fully. But I also think that in our world at this time where I don't know what your Facebook feed looks like right now, but mine is a little bit of a dumpster fire (laughs) of of people like yelling opposing views at each other. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, Or turn on the news or look at the unemployment rate or (laughs) I could go on. Like, yeah, it's really... It's, 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 it's a really intense time to show up. It's a really intense time to ask human beings to show up when we've been living underneath capitalism and white supremacy and, um, and sexism, misogyny, patriarchy for generations now, right? It's like, right. how do we climb out from that mess Inside into a dumpster fire. <laughs> you know? I mean, not right. to put a point of it, but it's not exactly like the most grace-filled and easy circumstances for us to rise in. And I think that in developing this sort of inner, um, inner strength, developing these qualities to show up in this time, we actually can have those the deep hearted among us, like those of us who really do care more about the planet and our future than, you know, making 10 extra dollars on a stock or something. Right. Mm -hmm. But like the, the deep hearted among us, those of us who recognize, okay, wait a minute, like we have to include our children in our considerations going forward. We have to include our planet in our decisions going forward. Um, we're also, we're also often sensitive beings. And so to develop our resilience, to show up in these times in a way that allows us to feel more like ourselves, not less, Mm. that's my goal. Mm. So do you really view this shakeup that's happening in our world as an opportunity for, leaders that are more integrative and that embody more of these soul qualities, like, is this an opportunity for them to rise since it's such a shakeup anyway? Yeah. I mean, I think that maybe every moment is an opportunity for that. So I also, I also consider like some folks are just tending deep trauma or like survival. They're survival at this time. I'm like, okay, if that's where you are and rising looks like stabilizing mm-hmm. beautiful you know like go for it I'm here for you like you know if you're like 
if that's where you are, that's great. Um, so, and there will be another opportunity, you know, once you've stabilized, then there's another opportunity. Um, which I guess means that rising looks a lot of different ways, <laughs> depending yeah. on where we are. Well, I, think I, love, every- I love that you just said that though, because I really want to highlight that because I think there's a lot of people that are exhausted, that are overwhelmed, people that are worried about money, about their future, worried about keeping the lights on, keeping food in the fridge. Um, and then also people that are having health challenges and all of this. And then we can put this insane pressure on ourselves to somehow be perfect in this moment or to, you know, make the biggest difference in the world right now. And the permission that you just gave people that are in those scenarios to simply stabilize is, and that which there's nothing simple about it when you're in that moment. Right. But, but that permission is so beautiful, Nisha. Mm. I mean, I really believe that resilience is not just about hardening Mm -hmm. and getting faster. Like that's the dominant narrative that resilience is about fighting and pushing Mm. that devotion is about duty And I think that resilience is actually shaped by our willingness to rest also and our willingness to be receptive and take in, to receive support, to hear other perspectives, to breathe, to open. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I believe that this is an opportunity. I believe that every moment is an opportunity. And I think that a, a great way for any of us to discern is like, is it an opportunity for us? And that's the call on our heart that we hear, like, it's time, (laughs) you know, right. It's, it's, it's time. It's time to, to, to do the, to have the rest that we need and to show up. Yeah. Bigger than we imagined we ever could or bigger than we imagined, than we imagine um, we're capable of or what have you. Um, Then I think that's when it's the time that's when it's our, when it's our opportunity is when we can hear that and feel it in our hearts, even if it's terrifying, even if we, I mean, (laughs) you've been through me with, you've been with me through the saga of like bringing my podcast out into the world. Like what I've been one part, yay. And one part, no. (laughs) (laughs) And yet I keep feeling, I've, I've felt guided by my heart because my heart is the one that's saying yes right? My fears are saying no, but my heart is the one that's saying yes. And so it's like, what am I submitting to my heart or my fears, Mm. you know, my inner mean girl or the, the deeper wise crone in me. Who's like, girlfriend, it's a podcast. You're going to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is good. This is, this is next for you. Um, so yes, it's an opportunity. I think every moment is an opportunity and then each of us get to feel into our hearts and see like, is this my opportunity? And that doesn't have to look like pushing. It doesn't have to look like burning out. It doesn't look like fighting. And I think for many of us, part of this is, I think of this time as like the great reimagining and whatever we want to repattern in the world, we might we, we ought to repattern in ourselves too. Like if I say I want a more regenerative, regenerative, thriving, equitable world, in what ways am I not being equitable with myself? In what ways am I pushing down the part of me that says, no, I need to rest now? 
<laughs> in what ways am I not living regeneratively with my own body? Mm. You know? Or so I think that it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to do that before we can do anything out in the world, but we don't get to also bypass it. That has been my experience anyway. So I know that you have this free class coming up. Will you share a little bit about that for people that want to go deeper in this conversation with you? Yes. Um, So I have this class coming up called Root Down, Rise Up. And it's about cultivating the freedom to show up for our highest vision. And um, the reason that I created this is, first of all, I, I run a free annual global event called Global Sisterhood Day. Mm. And so through that and through just my work with women over the years, I've gotten to hear from like thousands of women what their vision for the world is. And what's touched me and, and struck me, struck, struck such a deep chord in me is this awareness that uh, now my sample size in the whole world, but it's many thousands of women. And so far... It seems like we're all dreaming pretty much the same dream Mm. for the future. And so I've been sitting with like, wait a minute, if if thousands of women from all over the world and therefore probably many more (laughs) are dreaming of these healthy, peaceful, beautiful, generous, kind, um, sustainable futures and a world that we'd be so happy and honored to leave in the hands of our children, to hand over to them and, and their children, then what is, what is stopping us from harnessing the power of that vision towards creating it? Mm. And so in this end, so that's part one. Part two is that um, I think that, you know, we have like 20 million unemployed people in the United States right now, something like that. I mean, these are very difficult times for a lot of people, you know, social isolation. I mean, they're great times for some people and they're profoundly difficult times for some people and scary times. And then, you know, add all the dumpster fires (laughs) happening and it's like, it can be really intense time. And I really, I just deeply believe that if we can anchor to something, you know, anchoring to the earth and then connecting to the North Star of our vision, like that is part of what can help draw us forward and have us not get lost in this moment, um, lost in our fear um, in this moment. And so what I really want to do is gather just this huge group of women for this um, workshop and connect to what each of our visions is. You know, Mm -hmm. what is each person's vision for our world and for their lives that is beautiful? You know, the thing that would have, that is like, oh, okay, I I can, I will show up for that. Like that I can show up for. Because I think that is like 50% of it is just knowing why we're showing up in the first place, like having something to show up for. And then in the workshop, we're really going to look also at just, you know, what are the challenges that we're facing in our leadership and what can we do about them? Like really tangibly, specifically, how can we 
shift out of some of these challenges that we're facing um, in our lives and in our leadership at this time. So I'm really excited for it. Beautiful. So I just want to encourage everyone, you can go to amyaylorshow.com forward slash root, R-O-O-T as in like roots in the ground. Mm-hmm. So com forward slash root and you'll be able to sign up for that free class, which sounds like it's going to be incredible. Um, Nisha, I want to just end with the question that I ask all my guests that are on my show. And that is what's messy and what's magical about your life these days? Mm. Well, one thing that's magical is we are sheltering in place with my mom and stepdad at their home in Canada. Thank goodness for a basement suite. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I get to walk barefoot in the grass with my little kid Mm. and plant vegetables and watch them grow and feed the sheep. He gets to go feed sheep every day. I mean, it's just really so special to be close to the land. Mm. And I've been spending some of my non-working time um, gardening with my mom and just putting my hands in the earth and seeing all the worms and feeling how like moist and rich and fertile the soil is. It's really remapping my relationship to sustenance where I think that previously that's been very connected to money. Ah, and how much money I have. And therefore, you know, if it's a difficult moment or a difficult month, or if I'm just like in scarcity, (laughs) regardless of how much is in my account, um, around money, then I don't feel like there's sustenance. And so this is, it's magical to be feeling how rooting that is, you know, um, what's messy is that I live in, I am currently living in the basement suite of my mother and my father. <laughs> I'm like, hallelujah. Oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, 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 you know, I'm, I don't know if other folks can relate to this, but I'm like, my inner teenager is very here <laughs> and I'm having to do the work that I didn't, don't want to be doing right now. Right. Okay you know okay there's that thing that I haven't resolved with my mom or like okay there's you know yeah um and here we are so I guess I'm here for it (laughs) I love it it's so interesting to me having asked that question many many times now over the hundred plus shows I've done how often it's the same thing that's both Mm -hmm. messy and magical that it's really the same thing it's the same two sides of the same coin so to speak and I just think that's fascinating. So Nisha, thank you so much for being here on the show. What a joy to have you. And again, everyone go and sign up for her free class. It's going to be phenomenal. Again, the URL is amyaylorshow.com forward slash root. It's also in the show notes. And with that, I will say goodbye to everyone for now. Keep embracing the messiness and the magic of life. Nisha, thank you so much, my dear. Amy, thank you. Grateful to be here. Thank you.